And that's why they're valuable, because they keep you in the present. They alleviate you of anxiety because you know what you're doing right now points towards where you want to go. So it's the best thing you can do anyway. If you know you're underprepared, there's no amount of breathing that will that you can do to alleviate the anxiety of knowing you're underprepared. That was when mindfulness became a big part of my life. Um, I remember in, in Leinster actually they used to talk about knowing ready versus hoping ready. I think you need to have a few moves ahead or to at least think a few moves ahead. Hello and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach. I help players and teams all over the world overcome setbacks, play in the zone and achieve higher levels. On this podcast I chat with people at the top level about their journey so that you can get their insights and hear what worked for them. You probably agree that you need to be strong mentally as well as physically, but most players don't know how to work on their mindset. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is like a gym program, but for your mental strength. In it, you'll learn how to instantly move on when you make mistakes in games, how to feel excited and confident on the field, and how to play in the zone. And it's available now on Amazon. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening and be sure to send it on to some friends. Cheers. Hey, hope you're keeping well. I recorded this podcast a few weeks ago when I was back home in Ireland. I flew over to Glasgow for the day and chatted with Killian in Scottstoun, which is Glasgow Warriors home ground. We chatted in the media room there. In the pod, we get into so many different areas of performance go down a few different rabbit holes. Killian also used to work with Leinster. He's now with Glasgow, obviously, and he was a pro boxer for a while, which we chat a little bit about that. So I won't delay too much longer. Here's episode number 82 with Killian Reardon. Dealing with money can be very stressful, and especially with everything that's happening in the world right now and stock markets crashing. If you're not an expert, it can be difficult to know what to do. Sparks Wealth is an Irish financial planner and they are experts when it comes to dealing with finances and helping guide you on what's best for your situation. You can book a free call with Will now at Sparks Wealth on their website sparkswealth.ie. Recently a family member of mine did just that and was so happy they did so. They said Will guided them through everything in a simple easy to understand way no jargon and it was a brilliant experience. So that's sparkswealth.ie. So I'm with uh, Killian Reardon, Head of Performance here in Glasgow Warriors. How are you, Brian? Good. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Uh, so is today day off? Technically today's day off. Um, yeah, we're coming to the end of a 10 week run. So today's a day off and next week is a week off. So it's, um, yeah. A bit more relaxation time. Yeah. Is it pretty heavy going? So like when you have, you say, a 10-week run, are you, you're like in a lot that's heavy going, then you get weeks off sporadically throughout a season. Yeah, like on balance, you actually do pretty well on time off. But when you're in it, you're really in it. Um, so, for example, the last two weeks, we played Stormers on Sunday and we played
played Perpignan the following Saturday because we were essentially playing a different team in the Stormers game and the Perpignan game. We came back in on Monday to train the Perpignan team. After we played Perpignan on the Saturday, we didn't travel home till the Sunday because it was such a late kickoff. And you're back in to turn around for a Friday night game against Bath last week. So when you get into when just when coincidentally a cycle ends up like that, it can get uh, it can get um, tough. But in the middle of that, we had this amazing night against Stormers here. We beat them, and then the next week you're in the southwest of France for two days, and it's kind of like you don't got that much to complain about, you know. So um, and Dazgo are on a good run. We're we're winning, which is. The only thing that really matters in a day. Yeah, is uh, the vibe around places like you're in Leinster for quite a while, and now you're here. And is it a big difference in the vibe around places when you're on a winning run, losing run? So, uh, I was very lucky in Leinster. Uh, anyone who's in Leinster is very lucky in the sense, or anyone who has been in Leinster during the last number of years is lucky because. Um, The organisation is just set up for sustained success, and they've just done. They've just figured that side of it out. That doesn't guarantee that it stays around forever, but for now, they figure that side of it out. Um, and you almost kind of take it for granted. And first year when I came over here, we um, it was just a difficult year for lots of reasons. Covid, and you know, we had a kind of um, we weren't performing consistently, particularly away from home. Um, you know, it was, it was a tough time. Um, and now this year, Franco's come in, he's made a massive difference. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm proud of that we did in the performance side of things is we spent a huge amount of time in that first year, even when things were difficult, in just getting down. Here is what the foundation of performance will look like. Here are the pillars that we're gonna that are going to drive it on. We'll get these in place. We'll keep improving our process as much as we can, and eventually this will come to fruition. Um, and then, you know, Franco coming in this year, he is a big believer in um, the performance side of things, in athletic performance. He, he kind of sees that as being core to, to the game model, which, is, which means it's a great place to be for guys like me. And, um, yeah, what, what, what's, been, what's, what's been done here in the last six months has been really good to be a part of. Yeah, you're flying it. Um, yeah, well, we're in a good spot at the moment, so long way at last. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Long way at last. Yeah, and so head of performance, what does that entail, or like your role? So, like, you know, my background is obviously strength and conditioning. That's where all guys like me really come up through. But um, I suppose once you once you get to the head of department level, or different guys have different opinions on, on what that should look like, but. What we've done here is we've amalgamated a few different things into a performance department. Instead of having a strength and conditioning department and a medical department and a doc and a nutrition department, um, myself and Andrew Bogue, who's our head of medical, we brought it together and we did that really from from day one once we came over here and, and made a team um, so that we're all on the same page. Strategies are aligned um, so that, you know, the the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. Um, we've got Liam Walsh, who runs our academy program. He's been brilliant in terms of aligning the pathway of players 
and um, at the level below and now he's working with our junior academy which is even younger players so there's really you know a coherent development pathway for for guys coming through um so where i suppose where i think i can add value to that is to facilitate those guys to keep creating that strategy that goes across levels goes across different locations and keeps the talent pathway coming through and also to make sure that applies to staff so that you know the thing about i suppose the athletic performance side of things you've got one guy at every level yeah so really what good looks like if you want to sustain a pathway of delivering players is that your coach pathway keeps going as well so that the show keeps going on so it's not well yeah that's probably the best way i can explain that yeah so it's uh upskilling everyone all the staff as well and the pathways themselves as well as players yeah and it's not like it's not like i do all the upskilling and, and all the the teaching and leadership side of things it's everybody's involved damien's brilliant to bring in liam and robin along you know he's got his background in rehab, strength and conditioning. Now he's got two years leading his own program, and um, you know, so he coordinates a huge amount of the, especially the athletic development side of the program. Um, and then, you know, I suppose ultimately, if we are successful in developing staff in the same way that we should be successful at developing players, you should see these guys go on and be successful as coaches and athletic performance coaches as well so yeah, it's too early to tell if we, if we will be but that's the that's the aim yeah good stuff and why did you get into snc or why did you decide to get into it when you did um it's probably like like everyone who gets into that um space it's you're into sports maybe you're not really good enough at any particular sport to have your own career but you want to be around it you're interested in performance and like the base tier of performance is the physical side of it mm. it's you know get your body right getting your, your nutrition right and so it's kind of an act and it's kind of an entry point it's an entry point to the idea of performance and then you know you do that for a number of years and you start to look at other areas but but um yeah that's i think it's you know if you ask 10 guys with an snc background it'll be something like that yeah and where did you how did you get into it where did you you went to college or how did you start out so i went so i like i kind of i always knew that i should do this but well not always but for i knew that i should do this as i was sort of coming towards leaving certain cao and that but it didn't because I was coming out of college at in or coming out of school, sorry, in two thousand and five, which is when everyone was going getting business degrees and making a load yeah. of cash really early. So like, so I went to Trinity to do best and um, in spite of myself and hated it and dropped out after a year and a half and spent a year kind of floating and then went back to DCU in two thousand eight. To do sports science which is what i should have done the first time but um you know, no regrets on that i got to, got to have some fun in the meantime and that's probably i think it was 21 when i went back in and i was very um i was conscious or i felt like i was behind the eight ball so um 
I kind of had my eyes fairly well fixed on the prize. I knew I wanted to work in professional sport. I knew that Leinster offered a full-time internship to third years. So from 2008, I knew 2011, that's the internship, and we'll go from there. Because um, as you know, in Ireland, um, if you want to work in professional sports, it's, it's rugby really, isn't it? Yeah. That's probably better now with the sports campus and so on, but at that time, that time. I love that. So you, at 21, when you were, I love that, when you were going into college, you were very, you knew what path you wanted to go down. Like you knew where you wanted to get to. Like you, it wasn't like, oh, I'll go do this degree and see what happens. It's like, I kind of think I want to work in sport and I'll see what happens. I love that like you're, you're looking down the line and thinking like Leinster do that and that's what I'm going to go for. And Well, I've also tested it by doing the other thing. Like I'll go and do a business degree and see what happens. Yeah. And then quickly realizing that that was a mistake. So, so yeah, I mean, and, and that worked out. Um, I did that for a year, the internship for a year, and then I kind of worked in Leinster's regional system with their development, some of their development squads on a part-time basis during the summer. You'd have done the summer programs. Um, we probably crossed paths. Yeah, even. we could have. You, what, what did you? I was with the Leinster schools 09-10. So I missed you by a couple of years. Okay. And in 2012 would have the first time I did those summer programs. But yeah, so you've been through that same that same process but as a player. So. Yeah. And do you still do that now? Do you still like like you said, like two years out, that's where I wanna that's what I wanna do, or do you still kinda of do that now? Like Yes. I try to. So I think you need to have I think you need to have a few moves ahead or to at least think a few moves ahead and you you know if you if you plan those and if you write them down invariably when you get to the back end of those three or four or five moves they'll have looked a little bit different but that's having that framework in place and um, basically as a series of goals i suppose and um, that's a key part and that's that that's to go back to when I said to you before, you know, that physical performance, that athletic development, that's the base level of performance. Um, the sort of mental, a lot, I, for me, I suppose, what I've discovered, you know, what I've been able to make impact with certain players that I've worked with as well, on the, is the mental side of performance, and that you have those goals, um, that you have long-term goals, medium-term goals, short-term goals, connect those goals across horizons and and they kind of drive your action now. And, you know, we had that conversation on um, the side of the pitch here when you were over a couple of weeks ago. We talked about athletic performance and rugby. And so the game went pro in 95. And over the next sort of 10 years, the shape and physique of players completely changed because as professional athletes, now they were in full-time programs, they were getting strength and conditioning, they were getting nutrition support, um, everything just got more physical, faster, more yeah. powerful. But, it's not but, we've, it's not that we've exhausted that now, but it's, it's, it's as I said, to you in, on the side of the pitch, it's not, that 
area is not going to revolutionize performance once you're doing it regularly. Mm -hmm. So then the headroom in performance becomes, I think focus is probably a good word for it. The headroom performance becomes focus, so you're not doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That doesn't quite go far enough to go anywhere good. <coughs> the same over there, but that you have a goal that's close enough that you can focus on it, that leads to another goal that's a little bit further away. So you know what it is, but you don't have to focus on it. That goes ultimately somewhere where you want to go. And I've kind of lost my train of thought, but but that that's that's the next level. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I think it's so important to have, like, like you say, like to know, have a goal, or know where you want to get to, or know where you're going, and have have that picture in your mind. Like, I'm sure when you were going into your first day in DCU, or when you kind of thought about that Leinster thing, like you probably saw yourself doing it. Like in your mind, you thought about yourself being that intern at Leinster. Yeah. You 100%. know, yeah. So you were, like you say, that's a couple of steps ahead. But you got that picture in your mind, like you saw yourself like working in Leinster, even though you're two years away. And it allows you, once you get that picture in your mind, it kind of gives a mental clarity because it takes away a lot of anxiety. I think because you don't need to. A lot of the worry I find or have found in the past, say when I didn't have that, know where I was going you're kind of day by day just just floating about and like oh i'm working hard here or there or whatever but once you have a clear picture things yeah. become easy and the picture look the picture is really helpful like i wouldn't say that i was a very sophisticated goal setter back then but at least i had a goal and um, now i definitely wasted a lot of time and meandered around a little bit in the middle but the fact that you're in college and it's part of that will give you a bit of structure so it gives you just work through this module and then go do that sit those exams do this job application, we'll support you in this way and you'll do it, right? But but there's other scenarios where you, you don't have that level of structure. So you just kind of create it for yourself. And um, it's funny, like I'm kind of in a back and forth conversation with uh, with a player in here at the moment. And, you know, he's a high performing player. He's unbelievably talented. He's a starting regular starter for a team that is doing well in one of the top leagues in the world um, he's a, a genuine athlete he's got all the skills but he's no process he's no performance process um, or at least it's not as well developed as he would like now he, he's the one who recognizes that as being the next level for him so it's it's, it's and he actually approached me about it as being well what can I do to get this better? And his question really was, what have you learned from being around, you know, top performers who have been successful at Leinster? He's new in the environment. He hasn't been around for that. He hasn't been on a professional. He hasn't been a professional even for two years. Um, but I suppose it's just so funny to me that you can get to that level mm. of the game without having this thing down. You're kind of looking at him going, wow, you're going to, blow the roof off this when you get this down um, and he's young so um, I'm excited about what he's going to do yeah it's class when you get uh, people with growth mindsets that are eager to get better coming to you like that isn't it yeah no, it's, it, is, it is and because he's done so well so the program delivers a certain amount to you it delivers your your sports science support and your training and your rugby content and that's great but you kind of have to fill in the gaps a little bit yourself 
So when somebody comes to you and they're like, I need to fill in these gaps, then, um, and when, particularly if somebody comes to me, considering that I have the idea that this is the headroom in performance, it's not about the 1% gains of, you know, we'll squat this way or we'll squat to a box or, you know, we'll stick a couple of plates under your heels to give you a lift or we'll, not, not to denigrate sports science and training science at all. But as I said, I think it's going to be nip and tuck. And I think this stuff could be, um, well, I think it will be the next revolution in performance. Yeah. And so when you talk about it like... it is being, we're already seeing that. Yeah. And so when you talk about like putting a process around it, something I talk about in the book, my new book is uh, like planning your week and then planning your day. And right. is that kind of what you're saying? Like with them outside of your rugby, like just like what everything else looks like? One of the things, obviously, rugby works week to week, right? So you can nearly, that process of goal setting, having an ultimate goal and then a sort of a medium-term goal and a short-term goal to what you should do right now, connecting those horizons together. That's just the way that I like to envisage it. You can look at that in a big sense and you can do that for like your rugby career, you can do it for your life if you can look that far down the road or you can just do it for a week. And the ultimate goal of the week being that you perform on Saturday, right? So then kind of a cool way to look at it then would be, you know, can you theme the days? So like a typical rugby training week. We train Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, train Thursday, cap run Friday, and then go play on the Saturday. So it's like, so first of all, you need to plan the arc of that, the arc of that journey to where you're going on Saturday, that big performance. I was like, where do I need to be by the time Monday's over? Where do I need to be by the time Tuesday's over? Where do I need to be? What do I need to do on Wednesday to team me up for where I need to be by the time Thursday's over? And where do I need to be on Friday in order that I can go and do what I came to do? And then th that sort of progress, idea of what your progress should be, will tell you what you should do underneath. Is that a, yeah. a fair way of describing that? And then you just plan your action steps. So like... For example, you could say, by Monday evening, I need to be fully clear on what my role is. Fully clear on what my role is for this team. So there's a bit of learning involved in that. There's obviously some reps. There's probably conversations with players, with coaches to get that right. Which would mean that by Tuesday, you can just come in and train with that intensity and abandon that you want to be able to train with. And then by Thursday, that you'll be intense, you have clarity, accuracy, and intensity. That's what Nigel Carolan always talks about. So you can nearly, you can nearly um, categorize it that way. Monday's clarity, Tuesday intensity, Thursday accuracy. By the time we get to Friday, I piece those together and, and go do it. And you'd be familiar with the clarity, accuracy, intensity from having worked with Nigel. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite make that connection to what we were just talking about there, but that, that's the way of looking at it. Yeah, that's class. And uh, that's another thing with uh, like getting into the flow state or being your best on a Saturday is like not not being worrying about plays or not being worried about your role or not being wor not worrying about all that other stuff that can be going on. Right. You know, that, so when you get to a Saturday, you can just play. Yeah, it's done. And you have that momentum and it's, you don't separate the game from the prep. It's... Um, so let's say you want to have your clarity on Monday. So you know you're going to have some core tasks that you do, you know, review of the previous game, preview of the next opposition. Then you're going to have some bespoke tasks that you have to do, specific conversations that you have to have, 
given what's coming up. But when you go to bed on Monday, you got that clarity. Um, and then Tuesday, you just make sure that you train at such a level that it just you know keeps your physical conditioning and fitness where it needs to be. So now, so now by the time you get to Tuesday, you know you're fit enough, and you know you've got like that temporal fitness, that contemporary fitness. So even though you might be generally fit, if you have a couple of weeks where you don't train at a really high intensity, you lose that edge. But you know if you get it, if you've got it by Tuesday evening, you know you're going to have it. You know you're going to have it on Friday or Saturday. Um, you've got that clarity. And then when you string it together on Thursday, it's nearly like confidence builder. And then you've got momentum. And the game then is just uh, the fourth, fifth action or the 10th or 12th or 20th action of a, of a bigger hole. And one game is just... A microcosm of the season, which is a macro, or a microcosm of your career, which and you just keep going. Um, and I just think that's a cool way of looking at it. And you can, what's the word? Um, you can alleviate yourself of a lot of performance anxiety by just being like step by step by step. Hundred percent. I love that. I love that because another big mistake I feel players made, and I've made it. 100% is what I made in the past when I was young is you see a game as just this massive thing it's like the biggest thing in the world and it's yeah. like when you're training like throughout like I say Monday, Tuesday, Thursday when you're training throughout the week and you're doing stuff towards throughout the week it's just you're just doing it but the game is always there and looming large and it's always you know whereas it is just another thing yeah. it's not actually it doesn't need to be bigger than your training on Monday no. And when you don't, when you just have it as another thing, as you said, it relieves so much of that anxiety and pressure. And the key is to connect, connect your preparation to your performance. So there's a lot of guys who are just preparing because they've been given a, this is what a script of preparation looks like. And if you're in a team, it'll be done for you because, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to write a schedule and send it out to you and that tells you where you have to go. And then when you get to that place, someone's going to tell you what to do. But, um, so here's an example. I had a, a conversation with somebody outside of rugby this morning, uh, a different athlete, a really, really high level. And one of the questions, it wasn't what the conversation was, one of the questions he asked was, he can't get continuity in his morning routines. He's doing this morning routine, and I know you're all about morning routines, but where he had just mindfulness and a couple of other pieces, but the mindfulness was the thing that we talked about. Um, but he can't get continuity in it. He said like less than 50% of the days. And then you ask him, well, why are you doing it? And he's like, well, I, I just know it's best practice. Well, that's why you can't get consistency because you haven't connected that to your performance yet. Mm -hmm. and, and when you do, that's when it will start to come. So, so then the conversation goes in that direction. And um, yeah, that was just, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so 100%. So it's get, that's huge as well. Getting an understanding and seeing, like a, a common enough one, but um, I was a player from history today about meditation. And like I was just talking to him about med, like starting a meditation practice in the morning. And he was just saying, like, oh, I'm stepping up to this level and I don't even really feel nervous. And I think the meditation is really helping. And he himself like I was talking to him about meditation. I was, I was trying to explain how it will help. Right. And... I sometimes find that difficult trying to explain how it, you will feel and really to convey that to people but uh it was funny he a couple of weeks later was like he linked the two right he was like 
Oh, I've been meditating, and uh, it's funny. I've just been called up to the to the second team in university, and he's a first year at one of the best universities in the UK. Okay. And uh, like eighteen, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, I'm not even nervous." And he so that's linking the two. So now you understand that the meditation is is actually helping. You know, you start to see it. That's well, I actually have it. You actually helped me to clarify this in my head. And uh, the last time you're here, and we're chatting on the side of the pitch, because. I probably would have said, you know, uh, meditation really helps me. Like, there's, look, there's a science behind it about what it does to your nervous system, and that's great. And experientially, it's been really helpful to me, but hard to say why, right? But uh, I connected it after we spoke because everything that, everything that I'm talking about, that sort of mental side of performance, about having a long term goal breaking it up in intervals, making sure those things are connected. It's about orientating you towards what you want, but then driving you into the present, right? Mm. That's what, and then something, I can't remember what you said, but it was something to do with being able to focus on your breath. So then that's a symbolic tool for being in the present, and it's just like an accelerator of exactly the same thing. So two mechanisms for the same thing was what I came to. So that's probably the best I can do with that now, but it kind of occurred to me over the last couple of weeks. Um, and that's why they're valuable because they keep you in the present they alleviate you of anxiety because you know what you're doing right now points towards where you want to go so it's the best thing you can do anyway and your meditation apart from all the physiological benefits reminds you of that mm. so that's uh, yeah that's one interpretation anyway yeah it's so good and uh, morning routine what's, what's yours at the moment so it hasn't changed in about two years so uh, I've been building up my meditation. So we would have started that in Leinster with Daniel Davy, who ran a nutrition program, but also did some other performance stuff for us. And that was when I got into it. Um, and then a couple of like there's a couple of nutritional pieces. Uh, one that I picked up from uh, Peter Tierney, just an antioxidant shot, which I like. Um, I'm, don't ask me to explain the ins and outs of it, but um, yeah, it just uh, it, it's just something, it's a process I like going through on Sunday night. It's just making the shots for the week and every morning doing that. And then the last one is um, the one that everyone's doing at the moment. So I read uh, Wim Hof's book at the start of this year. He makes an unbelievable case for cold. Just finishing the shower on two minutes of cold. Um, that's that's the morning routine. And I like that because it means you've done something hard at the start of the day. And in Glasgow, that's hard to hit the call button and it's minus nine degrees outside. Um, but that gets you into a flow of doing hard stuff. It really does build momentum. Um, so, yeah, that's the that's the routine at the moment. Yeah, I love the cold shower. Like you yeah. say, the it's something hard and it's funny as well you feel unreal after like you feel the energy it gives you yeah. is crazy like you wake up tired obviously but the energy you come out of it like as if you've been at a rock concert yeah you're tingling yeah yeah and then uh it's funny then also the people don't understand that it's always hard you know even if you I, for me anyway even though I've been doing it for years every morning very quickly every, I do it every day I just say to myself but every morning it's like oh, oh 
you kind of, I just go straight cold. Like I step in straight cold, just cold. And oh, I wash myself in the evening or, you know, I don't even, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just cold water. And uh, like, you know, I don't shampoo or any of that, just straight cold, just, and, uh, but every morning before I go in, it's still like, uh, and I kind of potter around the yeah, place yeah. and I'll kind of, and there's like, just bring it in there. Yeah. But then that's another example of, uh, uh, don't, again, don't ask me to explain the science of this, although I think the Wim Hof book does a decent job of it. It's somewhere your breathing kicks back in. Yeah. The way to get through that, that initial shock, is with your breath. It happens pretty quickly. It actually happens pretty quickly. It's like three or four breaths. Uh, you can feel your heart rate start to come down. You can feel yourself start to self-regulate your temperature. Like this uh, might be an, over, an overstatement, but certainly handle the cold temperature better, do you know? Um, so, yeah, and with that, then you're just starting to piece a few things together, like the cold, the breath, and, you know. So yeah, a hundred percent, and uh, yeah, it's a breathe. Yeah, once again, breathing, like yeah, like I said, meditation. What I try or kind of explain to people is that meditation is like practicing being present. So like the mistake people make is they think like, oh, I tried meditating, but it doesn't work for me, not for me, because you, you do once or twice or 10 times and your top, your mind keeps racing, but it's just the practice of, of bringing your focus back to your breath. And then the cold water, same thing. It's like, you're, you have to really, you take one big, oh, and then- You have to be in the moment. Yeah. When you're cold, it's the only thing you're thinking, like, oh, Jesus Christ, that is cold. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, get, I get it. And that's the correlation to on the field is like when, you know, when things aren't going well, maybe or whatever it is, you can just go back to your breath and you can just be present and then focus on, like say, be in the moment with yeah. the cold water. But like in, in a game, just be in the moment then and just think like, what's important? What's important now? What am I doing now? And just breathing and just just giving it all to what you have, what you're doing right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I think there are layers to the same thing. Like, I, I don't think. Well, it's not that I don't think that, that this almost seems obvious to say, but if, if you know you're underprepared, there's no amount of breathing that will that you can do to alleviate the anxiety of knowing you're underprepared. Uh, if you know you're not fit, there's nothing that can say. So that, that's one of the things, and Franco talks about that as well. He wants players who are fit, not because of fitness in and of itself, but when you're fit, you're creative because you're not worrying about what your body's going to do. You're just making cool decisions and doing the best thing you can do. Uh, when you know you're not fit, you're in worry mode about how you're gonna survive whatever sport you're doing the next set in rugby or, do you know? 100%. How you can do a little bit less in this action here so you'll be able to do the next action instead of just full engagement at all times. That's a great point he makes. Yeah, because you can go all, all in you can just immerse yourself in it when you're fully, when you're at your peak fitness. Yeah, and, and that's the conversation you have with players, especially guys. Come, one of the things we have in place here. That um, for return, the players who've been injured for a while, they have to pass a bronco test. So they have to pass a certain standard of bronco test that's set at the start. And players get frustrated with that because they feel right. They feel good, and this might actually be the last. They're not injured anymore. They're good to play the game. And it might actually be the last thing that's holding them back. It's like, no, you have to hit 4.45 in a Bronco, and they get 4.49. It's like, you have to do it again before you can go back training. It costs them a training day. They get very frustrated. That's what players want to do. They want to train and play, not do fitness tests. But 
that's the point. I wish I could get better at um, navigating these conversations with players. The point is not for the sake of ticking a box. It's not for the sake of the numbers. It's not to make my stats look good. It's could fit players or creative players. It's not that you get. It's not to become a fitter player. It's that you become a better player because you're fit. Um, and yeah, that's gonna be my line. I think the next time I have this conversation. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I was just uh, oh, as we were chatting before, and I was doing a talk in Ross Gray, and uh, after someone had said they're coming back from injury, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm coming back from injury. What anything, you know, I'm just unsure about coming back to the field or anything you can help with. And one thing I was thinking about is uh, being fully fit, because you know, at all, all those other levels, you can sometimes get rushed back. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. like you, you have a shoulder injury and it's like we've got a big game and you get you're rushed needed, back, yeah. you're needed, yeah. And that can play on you, on your mind, because you know you're not right. Yeah. And this is a completely different level. Like you're bringing it, you, Glasgow, have set in, in place a system whereby we know that you're going to be 100% firing when you get back onto the field. Yeah. Return to perform, not return to play. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's not unique. The, the best clubs do it. Leinster do it. They call it return to perform. They have standards, not necessarily the same standards. But the point is that when you're back out on that pitch, you'll be killing us, not survive. Um, but you need that to be supported at all levels. You need a head coach who's willing to give guys that time. Um, and you know, we have one, so we're, we're lucky that we get to do that. But we're lucky that we get to do that, but it's also a massive, up, I believe it's a massive uplift to the team performance that the standard of guys who are coming back in brings the standard up, not not down. Yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah, I haven't really heard of that return to perform, but I love that. And it helps the players, yeah, 100%. Even yeah. though they're probably frustrated, like you say, frustrated at the time, frustrated it's like, I want to get time. back on, but... Yeah, look, there's um, there's nuance to that, and there's exceptions and everything else. But as a as a a way of thinking about injuries and rehab and that type of thing, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, and you mentioned at the start you were saying about you playing sport and didn't really you bounced around or whatever didn't really. But then, as you were saying to me before, you were a professional boxer for three years. So chat to me just about your like sporting background yourself as like a as a player or? So I did, um, I did the usual like uh, kid stuff, played uh, football and Gaelic football, and, you know, ran track and stuff like that as a child, like athletics, but uh, got into boxing in sort of, started competing I think 2011 um, and did that for, I uh, started competing I'd say, no I started competing when I went to DCU, so 08, 09. Um, as an amateur, obviously. And then in 2016, there was a bit of um, kind of a, a rejuvenation of Irish professional boxing. A big promoter came in um, and they wanted to rejuvenate the scene in Ireland, which, you know, was great. But all the top, top guys, like the, the guys who were, you know, the, the Olympic elites and that type of thing, already gone to the UK. They all go to the UK and the US because the infrastructure is not really that well developed, but um, so what that opened the door was for guys like they needed to drop down the next tier in order to rejuvenate the scene over there and open the door for guys like me. So 
well, yeah, the chance to, to fight professionally between 2017 and 2020. And it was brilliant. Boxing your call. Um, great experience, definitely being on that side of it, as opposed to coaching, added another sort of layer to my understanding. Um, also got to, you know, I was a bit older, so 2017, I was 27. So it was, you know, my last roll of the dice, that sort of three, four years ago boxers go a bit longer but a lot of the guys that um, I was coming up with the training with were young and, and good like 21 22 23 and had and are still going and um, so you're in that sort of high performing environment you pick up a lot picked up a lot from them and um, you know even like that sort of wellness recovery side of things that really wouldn't have been in the mainstream when you and I were coming up when you and I were 18 19. Guys of that of of that age now, even in sports like boxing, which in Ireland is not massively cutting edge or on the pro side anyway, um, it's there. It's funny like people are getting way more attuned to that. And so, what was that like? You were so you were in DCU. You started um, competing, so you're doing like amateur. You're training probably three nights a week. I boxed as a kid as well for Did a few you? years. Yeah. Um, I won a Connacht title, but then there was rugby. Yeah, but there was rugby trials. That's fast. And it's funny, the, um, it's funny to look back, the boxing coaches were, uh, I didn't get on with them. I was like 13, 14. I didn't get on with them. And I remember after I won a couple of fights, he was like... tall as a 13-year-old? Yeah, yeah, and heavy. Helps. And really heavy. Helps. So there wasn't as many. Like, some of the guys your size, there was so many. Like, they'd have Lots like... Lots of them, yeah. They'd have... I only had to win a handful of fights to win the Connacht title, whereas yeah, some yeah. lads would have to win probably nice. 15 or, you know, there'd be yeah, far yeah. more. I know so, what you mean, but no, it's a great thing to have. Yeah, but um, so when you, you were, you got into it in your early 20s and then so you were competing as an amateur and from what I remember, it was intense. When I was a kid, it was like three nights a week boxing, rugby, Gaelic, all that was far left, like two nights a week, but they were, and then a weekend you'd be at it again. What was your schedule like? Yeah, it was pretty much like that as an amateur. It was when uh, when I started taking it more seriously in the build-up to turn a professional and then as a professional, um, that was when, you know, it just put a lot of pressure on a lot of systems. So you're training twice a day, four or five days a week, and still uh, does the, I was senior type performance coach with Leinster at the time. So you've got, you know, these two environments which are, um, you know, demanding and relatively high performing. And that was when I got um, that was when I got really slick on my morning routine and you know really um, good on like nutrition and bedtime and recovery and just making sure that everything was right and being really well organised. Which is um, yes, yeah, one of the biggest. It's one of the biggest uplifts to the quality of my life now. That I just had to get down on that plate in that time, just because you know there was demands everywhere at the same time. So, yeah, I, I, it's something I push as part of, let's say, as part of a weekly preparation um, routine that we talked about. That you're really, really well organised around the pillars of that. You know what they are. Yeah, and so we chatted a bit before on the field that time, but. Uh, so when you were pro and like you're training twice a day and you're working full time in Leinster, chat to me about those days. In terms of schedule? Yeah. So it was 4am start, 
and so that you could always usually so you could train before work or you know very lucky obviously because in terms of your athletic performance and that type of thing i was going to work in you know a world-class facility so you could do a lot of your athletic performance there just before work and then um again leinster were very supportive of the time you used to leave work at three o'clock every day so you spend your afternoons um out in inch core in our rush gym it was uh yeah, it was, a, it was a really challenging time. It was a really good time. I really enjoyed it. And I learned loads out of it. Um, and it was when I got my morning routine down to where it is now as well. That was when mindfulness became a big part of my life. Daniel Davies bringing in with Leinster. Um, it wasn't so prominent on the boxing side, but it was something that definitely uh, helped me to stay in the right frame of mind to balance everything that was going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, probably probably the reason why you start doing a lot of this stuff is not the right reasons yeah. because you you go you think it's better like that kid said to me this morning it's like well, well I do mindfulness every day because it's best practice right um, and that was definitely why you start doing that but at some point it dawns on you you know well it's actually really is helping and then the things that become really hard like the idea of doing mindfulness for meditating for 20 minutes or half an hour back then it's like well maybe eight like yeah. because you're kind of just going oh, i wish this was over so it was done it's a task um but now it's totally different because you see it as such an uplift to your performance so it's kind of like the more time you can find to invest in it the better 100 percent, and it's a uh, you you don't understand the value of it when i i know when i started out it's like oh 10 i haven't got 10 minutes i don't have, I don't have 10 minutes yeah. in the morning it's like i'm busy yeah like i've got this 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 and you know like you don't understand but for me now i have i say you know i haven't not meditated any morning for three years or so because just my days really? are better yeah You're not consistent. yeah wow. now might have missed a day or two yeah, here yeah, or there but I genuinely just, my day is way, way better when I do. If I have to miss something later in my day or, you know, days are not usually that busy where I can't do 10 minutes or five minutes. But the reverse is also true. If you've got an awesome practice built up and that's kind of helping you to stay in a relaxed performance mindset, then you also don't panic about the morning when you wake up and something happens and you're like all right we just have to can i have to can that for today but it isn't going to affect me 100 percent, you know and again i'll just go back to the conversation that i had this morning this guy's talking about i've got a morning routine mindfulness is in there but i'm less than 50 percent diligent with it right but one of the other things that he had in his kind of flow workflow would have been um two minutes or five minutes or something of uh, breathing before training just to try and shake off you know everything that's come before in that day and just be in the right spot um, but and where we got to and it's like well you have this in your morning routine as a sort of a general mindset tool but you don't it's it's not a solid practice yet so how is it going to be an effective tool for you to separate your training block of the day from the rest of your day the first thing you have to do is just build a 
a real general practice, see what it can do with, for you in a general sense, and then start to apply it on a more accurate basis. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's a fair way to think about it, but that was the, the view I came to. Because otherwise it's a task list. It's a task in the morning that you're not really connected to. You don't see it as connected to your performance. You don't really want to do it. And it's another task then before training, as opposed mm. to an uplift in the morning and an accurate uplift then just before training. And so I think you got to fix the general before you try and fix the specific. Same as any tool, do you know? Any training tool that you would use. 100%, 100%, it's a, you're spot on. And it's like, it's some, it's a, it's a tool you have. So like, even like before, before I'd start a podcast or before anything, I'd like breathe or, you know, like just take a second, just breathe, just connect my breath. And like, that's technically, I suppose, meditating for 10 seconds or 30 seconds, yeah. but Jamie, yeah. but it's not, it's not like before I do a podcast, I, I meditate. It's not like a tick the box. It's just like, we're running around, came for the day, like setting stuff up, running around and then gotta do this but it's like just take 30 seconds a minute wait longer you know take a couple of minutes just just relax and just just relax get into the moment kind of just be here and not be thinking about the outside world and just breathe and then like and then I can do what I'm doing yeah and it's because because you've developed a, a general practice which is not associated with you know podcast about to start or a pressure moment in any way shape or form and you know what it can do for you and then you just naturally apply it at the moment when it's needed. But before you develop that general practice, you know, just trying to induct it as best practice here, there, and somewhere else, I think it's uh, it's, it's like having an extra task to do. Mm. I did the tick the box for a long time. Yeah, so like... Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, to be fair, that was how I came to the conclusions that I'm at now or that's how it came to be helpful to me so it's not bad it's not it's not wrong to go that way but it's, it's hard it's yeah hard. for sure and it's funny it's like with the cold showers I did as the tick the box for a while it's like you don't you don't after day one day five day ten be like oh these are I could tell you all it's the benefits yeah. and this is life-changing and this is so yeah, great and I love this it's like no you're like I don't know about this but for me what it was is be it in any of these things that are t in the moment easier to skip so it's easier to not meditate than this meditate it's easier to not have the cold shower than this have the cold shower it's easier to not stretch after your gym session than it is True. and that's something I really need to work on is stretching after my gym session but it's easy to not do all these things but um, yeah the, the, you just know that it just helps you more and more you know what I mean like all these little things and like like this stretches next things I really need to be copping on with you know but all these things that um yeah it's it's hard in the moment but then you just you feel better yeah I agree yeah can't agree more not to add to that yeah. you're right and uh chatting about the boxing like how did you find that performing and that uh like was that a big step up from once again, you mentioned like you played football, you played this, that, the other, but like then you're a professional boxer. Yeah, so box is not like other sports where you go get to a certain level and then you go professional. Like there's elite amateurs and there's elite pros and then there's different different levels. So you know, I was mm. a long way off being an elite pro, mm. but uh, I got to be part of something that for a while was going somewhere good in Ireland, um, and it gave you insight into that. And um, do you know, like there were like Eric Donovan who just recently retired, was coming up at the same mm. time. 
through the same pathway, through a lot of the same events, and went on to win a European uh, title last year before retiring. So look, it was it was exciting. It was exciting that that group of guys in that time with the opportunity that there was. Um, yeah, we were doing something for a few minutes, um, and then it fell down for for various reasons. Obviously, it was a weird time in in pro boxing in Ireland. Uh, a lot of stuff went wrong after the the shooting at the Regency Hotel, and you know, the sport in itself has it, its problems and challenges. Um, and see how it turned out to not be sustainable. So, um, but for me, I got what I needed from it. it was in that period of my life when I had an opportunity to do it. Um, when I retired, it was the middle of COVID. We hadn't boxed for six months anyway. And I had an opportunity to come over here and do this, um, you know, do the leadership role in, in Glasgow. And it was the right time. It was the right time. But uh, what I learned out of that chapter and what that adds to my practice now is, you know, I would say it's, it's as valuable as my sports science degree or anything else you know maybe even more in some cases and how did you find uh before a fight like how did you find out those say two or three hours before a fight yeah well that's the funny thing people get surprised people who aren't in boxing get surprised with it so the way the the it works the card and you never know how you don't know when you're going to fight because guys get knocked out. Fights you don't expect to go the distance go go the distance. So you might get um, you might get ten minutes notice. It's like no no you're on now. Or you might be like no no you're on now. Your man just got knocked out. Go go go. So you kind of you're there, and you just have to get ready and stay stay ready for a couple of hours. So it's a different challenge than knowing exactly what time you're going to go on it. So yeah, I mean, I suppose probably didn't consider it as much at the time, but that kind of just being able to maintain focus when you're you're getting are you, this is going this next fight's going to go quickly. Oh no, wait, now it's going on. It's like, oh no, geez, your man got knocked out real fast. Very quickly, you're up, you're up. Let's go. Um, being able to stay in that zone and you know use some of the techniques that we've talked about was was, uh, as I said, not something that I was probably as engaged with as I could have been, but... Yeah, something I remember when I was a kid, as I said, I was like 13 or 12, 13, 14, around that age. And I remember, uh, and the same four big rugby games, like, feeling scared shitless. Like, I used to, you know, like, just being so afraid, but, and I remember listening to Mike, Mike Tyson then talk about it. He's like, when I'm walking into the ring, I'm afraid. I'm, for, you know, like all that's going on. But then you know that you want to do it. Yeah. Look, I don't know. How did you find that? I suppose boxing is a little bit different because it's individual, and it is a fight. Like, yeah, not, but that's like, the so, thing. Like you're going to fight. Like yeah, but like, and lads say that. Like, you know, people would say, you get rugby players going. I can't imagine doing that. It's like I can't imagine trying to clean out a rock. You know, it's kind of whatever you're equipped <coughs> for, and it's, it goes back to preparation. If you if you're prepared for something, it doesn't bother you. When you look at something that you're not at all prepared for, it seems miles away. So preparation is everything. You know, everything that we've talked about that's kind of it's not even off the beaten track. But you know, the the mindfulness side of things, you know, anything that's not that that mainstream, it's, it's all preparation. Yeah, it's all preparation. So. 
the more prepared you are. Um, I remember in, in Leinster, actually, they used to talk about knowing ready versus hoping ready. Sorry, knowing ready? Versus hoping ready. Uh-huh. And, just, and when you know you're ready, it's not just that you're more ready than the guy who hopes he's ready. It's that you have a clearer mind than the guy who's gone, oh, I'm not as clear as I need to be on this. I'm not as fit as I should be. Or, do you know? Mm. Yeah, and you know when you've done the work. Yeah, exactly. There's a massive, and that that's kind of it. Like, it's kind of, you can, almost, if you've done the work, you can almost go, well, just let's just roll the dice. Do you know? A hundred percent. And that's the kind of beauty of it. It gives you a mental peace. It's like, I've done all I can do. Yeah. And you might still lose. Yeah. But, but that's kind of part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, going back to, I think, with the, me personally, I haven't done rugby and boxing. The boxing, like being on your own, just adds that element of like, man, it's like, it's like nothing else. Like with and and rugby, you've played team sports, so you you know. But boxing, like the three two minute rounds, what it was when I was a kid. That's what it was yeah, they've got the threes now for. It obviously. was like it was like. It was like playing two rugby games back to back. The two of the <laughs> hardest rugby games ever. You, no one has any idea. It's yeah. the hard because even holding up your hands after round two, round three, just because, even holding up your hands for me, and I was a bit heavy as a kid, but like it was just so hard. Yeah, it was You're, like the guys that stay relaxed are the guys that are uh, that are really high performers. You know. Good. How have you found um, Glasgow? How have I, we really like it? So I'm over here with my wife Claire. Um, been it was you know tough when we first moved over more for her than for me because I was coming to a new project that I was excited about and I just came to work every day um, it was difficult for her because we came over in the middle of lockdown and Glasgow was quite close I mean Dublin was too but especially when you didn't know the city it just it was very inaccessible but now, now we're here two years we love it um, live in the West End. Really, really nice neck of the woods. Um, Glasgow's a really good club. One of the things about Glasgow that is different than Leinster, it's not better or worse, but it's different, is that a lot of Leinster's boys are, are local boys. A lot of our boys are also local boys, but a lar- much larger proportion of this team come from way further afield or even different parts of Scotland, but, you know, Southern Hemisphere and that type of thing. So... Um, they're they're quite tight as a group because of that. Because you come over here, you don't know anybody, but you kind of inherit a group of friends who a lot of whom have been through that same process. And uh, I think for that reason, they were really good to me and Claire when I came over. So oh, it's it's been uh, it's been good. And as we said at the start, to have been part of something that was difficult but progressive. You know, you're kind of going through a phase of incremental success and now it's like we've had our first period where we've had exponential success for a while but um it's a cool thing to be part of it just keeps building your kind of um understanding of performance and what goes into it and how how things get done or how things get done well do you know yeah um, and why did you decide to move across, make the move over? So it's a chance to do the to head of performance role instead of um, being a senior athletic performance role. It's a golden opportunity because, you know, 
it came up mid-season. So as somebody who'd never done that role and had been unproven, to be able to go to your first role at a relatively big club like Glasgow in a major city and so on was, um, was you know, you wouldn't normally get that opportunity. So a certain set of factors aligned that meant that it was perfect. So, and so far, I've really enjoyed it. I learned a lot from it. Good stuff. And was there ever, um, not imposter syndrome, but something like, do you feel, do you feel you're ready? Or like, you know, when you're, when anyone is stepping up, something I think about a bit, something I think about is, and I've heard this just many times that you always got to just, you can't be ready. You got to go for a leap to, to, st to move forward, you know, and it's kind of similar with playing. Like you might yeah, not yeah. always feel fully comfortable at the next level, but you get an opportunity, you just got to go first for it. First time you get to even train with the seniors yeah. and the first time you're going to come on, you're going to be 24th man. And then yeah. the first time. You never, yeah. you never really feel ready. I don't know, but how, how do you think about that? Or how um, do you feel? Yeah, it's probably true everywhere, but I definitely, I definitely felt, you know, in that first, or even right up to now, but particularly in that first year, you definitely feel like your learning is being accelerated because it's not that you stop learning, but you're encountering completely new scenarios, you know, um, in your role and you're dealing with different people and you're different types of relationships. And, you know, maybe you deal directly with a head coach instead of with a head coach via your head of performance. So that, you know, that's a big change. Um, and obviously we've had a change in head coach during that time as well. So there's a lot of learning in that. Uh, we run a very different program now than we did a year ago in a lot of ways. So, you know, it's almost like you almost have two accelerated periods of learning mm. just along that axis of different bosses, um, which is it's great because ultimately that's what this is. It's a, it's a learning chapter, you know. That's probably sport in general or working in sport. Very, yeah, yeah. like just moving fast all the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and the way this league is going over the last couple of years, the African teams coming in and stuff just keeps getting bigger. It's really exciting, it's awesome, but it's, um, yeah, it's dynamic, yeah. which, is, which is good. And do you travel with the team all the time? Yeah, I have. I've done every game since, oh, barring two, I've done every game since I've been here. And um, yeah, so it's, as I say, like in a 10 week spot, it can be pretty relentless, um, but you know, on balance, we do, you know, rugby season goes up and down the international windows and so on. So that's, and, you know, to tie that back into what we've been talking about, planning those recovery spots is key. Um, you need to plan your recovery spots first because you know you're going to work hard when it's on. You know you're going to be full on in here and whatever else you're doing outside of here. So then nearly work back at the start of the year and say, well, we're going to go on holidays there, there, there. I'm going to get time off here. I'm going to get home at that point. And then those become the focal point or the the stable points in the season. If your games, there are the stable points and everything else. It's like you kind of have natural peaks and troughs then. Yeah. You know, so you can manage your energy. Yeah, it's important too. Yeah, massively. Yeah, to have recovery like in anything you do, like just have good recovery time and just have downtime and even schedule into your into your week if you can and you perform so much better you know in anything so you're better. doing so much better like we're away for now a week next week and even over the last couple of weeks you can definitely feel like um, working on stuff like you know that kind of mental edge isn't there in quite the same way it will be in 10 days or away for a week next week when I come back 
it's almost like that. It's the same as training. You build a foundation, you build loads of sets and reps, and you take your recovery time and you super compensate in the middle. So like anyone who's into training understands what that curve looks like. Works exactly the same. Um, and there's science behind it, although I won't explain it well, but experientially, that's also how it works. Yeah, and what's the, sorry, so super compensate in the middle of what, I get the build the foundation, I get all that, like uh, with training, with like weights or whatever. Then what's that you say in the middle? So recovery, and during, while you're recovering, while you're not doing anything, you get super compensation. So your performance exists at a certain level. So this is back to weight training. Yeah. Performance exists at a certain level you do reps of squat or whatever. And what happens when you do a lot of reps of squat, you get tired and your strength levels go down. So you go into a fatigue stage. Mm. And while you rest, your body super compensates. You bounce back, not to mm. where you were, but to slightly higher than where you were before. But in yeah. order to do that, you need the rest. Otherwise, so if I train here, I go into fatigue. If I train again there, I go into fatigue and I keep going down into that cycle. So the key is, I train here to train again at the peak of the supercompensation, keep going up. And yeah, it works as like that's a as I said, that's first year sports science, but it's really valuable as an idea because it's essentially how stuff works um, across your performance domains no absolutely and it makes perfect sense and i don't know i correlate when you're when you're talking there about that uh, to sleep like for me yeah right. oh man it's that's, just that's, that's, that's exactly what it is so yeah. that's exactly what sleep is and then the stuff you do in the middle to accelerate the super compensation or to shorten the timeline so you know with training it might be supplements with uh recovery it might be ice baths but essentially the curve exists and what you're trying to do is spike it in certain areas or suppress it in other areas with, with all this other stuff. But your basics are your basics. You know, train, uh, perform at work or whatever it is, so your, whatever your mental performance is, fuel properly, sleep properly, and you'll be fine. If you do some other cool stuff like meditation, cold, supplementation, great. But get the basics right first. Yeah, 100%. I even see it like, you know, when you're, I don't know, when you're younger in college, you're like pulling all nighters or, or like, you yeah. know, like. But, and you can as well. Like When you're younger, you can probably bounce, but you can, yeah, you can probably bounce back quicker or you can, you can deal with things better than when you're younger. But still, like, when you, when you, when you only sleep four or five hours, and I read the book, um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, he says, like, like, you're straight away behind the eight ball. Like you sleep four or five hours in a night. The next day, watch, you can't even think. Right, you okay. can't, you're just, you know. And uh, so I just know now once again, it's like, even if I'm busy, it's just like eight hours sleep. Seven hours, okay, fair enough, seven hours. But like, that's something that's just important. But do you find that the way you eat affects how much you have to sleep? Yeah, eating is big. I definitely find that. And I can't connect, I'm not a nutritionist. I can't connect the science. You know, there's a lot of people out there on social media talking about X, Y, and Z, but I definitely know certain things that it, certain, like if I eat a lot of carbs, especially late in the day, I'll need to sleep a lot more. I'll feel a bit sore. And it's just ex experiential. It's not a recommendation or anything else, but it's just, I've started to get quite um, engaged with how what I'm eating makes me feel the next day. Um, and I'd eat well in a general sense. I eat well, like it's not like I have, you know, my diet would be by most standards good, but there's still things within that. Like, you know, 
like the carbs thing, for example. The carbs aren't bad necessarily, but if I eat them at the wrong time of the day, I won't sleep well, or I'll need to sleep way more. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And what I uh, equate that to now is like, a, people call it cheat meal or whatever, whatever, but yeah, like yeah. me, like doing the dog on it, is I see it now the way I saw drink when I was younger. It's like if I eat a Domino's pizza and a Ben and Jerry's at night, on a Friday night. Your next day is going to be horrendous. Trash. Yeah, yeah. You feel horrendous. Yeah. So like, don't get me wrong, I do that from time to time. And, but I, I, I think about it the same way I would have then. It's like, all right, I'm going to go and have a feed of pints yeah, yeah. as a young lad. And then it's like, I'm going to feel crap the next day. You budgeted for it the next day. I've kinda, yeah. I know I'm going to feel crap. Yeah. But when I was younger, I didn't realize the food. I didn't realize that all that made me feel no. crap. Whereas now I know it's like, if I eat all that, I'm going to feel like crap. Yeah. No, still, it's not what it is. Like, I think, well, there's obviously so much more information out there now, isn't there? For, for, like, yeah. You know, the generation behind us are way better on alcohol than we were. Way better. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and, you know, people are getting really tight on their, like, again, as I said, like, a lot of it's not necessarily scientific, but if it's working for you, do it. Do you know? Yeah. Um, that'd be my, that'd be, well, if it works for me, I do it. Let's say, that's, that's, that's my, uh, I'll stop short of giving nutrition advice. Yeah, yeah, of course. So everything is play around yourself. But that's one yeah. thing as well, the alcohol. Oh, I wish I realised when I was younger, like how much it affects you, I think. Yeah, I suppose you know, when you're young, it doesn't affect you as much. As much, yeah. You know? And you get away with it. I like, yeah, you probably just don't think about peak performance as much as you do later. I think it's probably just a natural a natural arc of having been through that pathway and maybe been around some of the people that you have been even more so now with some of the places that you're visiting and people that you're spending time with you know yeah i suppose it's yeah probably maybe a bit of your job as well is trying to explain to those younger players who you know like if, if a younger person doesn't stretch or if a younger person doesn't eat well or if a younger person doesn't sleep well or they're drinking like it doesn't really catch up with them as much but i'm sure once again it's not my area of expertise but i'm sure if they live the w the right way, that they'll still see. Obviously, they'll yeah. still see the gains. A lot of that's about the uh, the environment as well. Like, like the environment in here is it's competitive. It's demanding. Like, you really can't be coming. You really, I don't think, you would come in here, other than be able to give your best because it would just it just wouldn't work. <laughs> you know. So it's actually quite a cool thing to be a part of because you're automatically held to account for that standard just by what's happening around you you know that's that's a key thing i think in in environments in the environment of teams that perform consistently which is yeah. what we started to see a little bit of here this year so yeah and it's it can be demanding like it is demanding but it's enjoyable it's so i found like when I think back to when I was younger, it's so enjoyable being in high pressure, high demand environments where you need to be your best and you're pushed to be your best. Because even though that some people could look at that and be like, oh, that's very stressful. But it's you want to be, like when you were boxing early, you want to be being your best, being pushed to be your best. I don't know, there's something with that. Yeah, no, I did. Like, I suppose the places where I've been most energized is when I've been around, you know, High performing, high performing environments where the demands are high. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, good stuff, but uh, cheers for jumping on and coming in on your day off. I really appreciate it. I've been brilliant chatting. Oh, thanks for coming over. It's not, it's not, really appreciate you coming over. Cheers for listening in today. Would you do me a favor now and send the podcast on to some friends or into your WhatsApp group? That takes less than 30 seconds, but I would hugely appreciate it because that's how the podcast grows and how more people get value from it. If you're an ambitious player, serious about getting to your next level and would like to feel more confident, enthusiastic and certain of success, Get in touch through my website offfieldrugby.com and we'll sort a time to chat over Zoom. Everyone understands the importance of getting help with your physical development through an SNC coach and the best players in the world understand the importance of getting help with your mental development through a mental skills coach. So don't be worrying about your future. Don't be hoping that you're doing the right stuff and hoping that things will work out. Get in touch, we'll work together monthly and you will love how much better you feel. You'll love how certain you'll feel about where you're going, about your future and how much more confidence you will have in yourself. Or if you're a coach and you would like to give your team an edge out there in the field, then get in touch through the website as well. And we can chat about how we can help your team through a Zoom session. You know, it's funny, I've been there myself as a coach You spend ages working on a play or a call that they mightn't even do or it doesn't come off. So essentially that's all time wasted. But you do one mental skills session with your team and they learn tools and strategies to deal with nerves, have more confidence and self-belief. And instantly their performances can go up 10, 20, 30% each. You add all those percentages across a whole squad and it's literally a complete game changer for your team and your players will be so thankful to you and you look great so yeah if you're a coach get in touch via offfieldrugby.com and you and i can have a chat over the phone to suss where your team is at and what they kind of need i'll link all my socials below at offfieldrugby for instagram twitter tiktok brian moylet for linkedin add me there so we can stay in touch And hey, thanks again for spending some time with me today. I hope you're keeping well. Have a good one. Cheers.